So let's let's have a little confession. Let's admit something, all right? As Christians, we believe some pretty strange things, right? Now, now most of us have heard them so much that they're no longer strange to us. But if an outsider were to look in, we believe some strange things. And just in particular, we believe in this concept called a miracle. Now, I don't know if you've seen lately or not, but miracles are kind of out of fashion. People don't believe they happen anymore. Unless you can explain it scientifically, people don't want to believe it. And yet we believe in some pretty crazy miracles. And not even talking about the Old Testament stuff of, of splitting a, a sea in two and then it coming back on top of and destroying an army or fire coming from heaven and destroying an entire sacrifice that had been soaked in water or a donkey stopping in the middle of the road and having a conversation with a guy. Just about Jesus, the center point of our faith, we have some strange beliefs about what he did. I'm already looking forward. When you're in church work, you have to look forward. And so not only are we looking forward to Christmas, I'm looking forward all the way to Easter and thinking about what God has in store for us as a church and where he has us. And as we move towards Easter, one of the things that we're going to look at as a church are the miracles that Jesus performed in the book of John. And you're looking at things like changing water into wine, and that usually takes longer than a couple of minutes. You have the thing where... Uh, they don't have any food and they've got a few thousand people to feed and he takes what food they have and transforms it. You have the time when somebody comes to him and they've got a sick son and he, he just speaks and long distance healing occurs. You got that thing at the end when he's dead and buried and comes back to life. And in the midst of all of those crazy things we believe, one of the craziest, one of the absolute craziest and hardest to believe is this simple phrase. God became one of us. Nowhere in the history of religion prior to Christianity had anybody even thought of this concept. I mean, everybody, every other religion, they were trying to get to God. I mean, when you look back at the Egyptians, they made their pharaohs God. They, they were hoping to become gods. When you look at the Roman Empire, you, you think about the deified Julius Caesar. They were trying to become gods. Nobody would have thought that God would try to become one of us. And it's not just that he became one of us, it's how he became one of us, it's how he came to us, because in other religions there were moments when gods visited humanity, but it definitely wasn't in a borrowed feeding trough to a poor mother and father. Now, now the person that gives us kind of the best explanation about this is a guy named John. You know John, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and... John. John was one of the followers of Jesus. In fact, most people think that he and Peter were kind of the inner circle of the inner circle. 
Peter, James, and John, John's brother James. And so they were right around Jesus. They witnessed all the miracles. They witnessed all the amazing stuff. They witnessed everything that had happened. And John, when he's uh, older in life, in fact, John is a guy that kept preaching about Jesus. And and the the emperor gets real upset with John. The, The leaders get real upset with John. And they think about killing John. But the problem is, by the time John's around and he is telling people about Jesus, that every time they killed a Christian, ten more sprung up. They couldn't keep him down. In fact, they did try to kill John. They poured hot oil on him and he survived. Miraculously. And so they put him on this island and they put him on this island to, to put him away. And it's just another one of those stories of God using uh, what seems like terrible circumstances for good. Because while John's on the island, he decides to write down all that Jesus did. He decides to write three letters that are creatively titled first, second, and Third, I mean, couldn't they come up with better titles than that, right? First, second, and third John. And then he also, while he's on that island, he has a little bit of a vision from God and writes this book that everybody understands completely called Revelation. John was a guy that walked with Jesus and he believed Jesus was the Son of God, believed Jesus was the Messiah. The entire Jewish people thought the Messiah was coming. They never imagined it would actually be God. They just thought it was one of God's representatives. And as he watches him, he believes Jesus is the Messiah. And then Jesus gets killed and he says, well, he's not the Messiah. And then Jesus comes back from the dead and he says, okay, he is the Messiah. But John thinks he's more than that. And in John chapter 1, verse 14, it says this. And the Word, the Word here is Jesus, became flesh. Flesh and blood, just like you and me. And dwelt among us. The the word dwelt there is literally the word tabernacled. It is that He pitched a tent, that He made His dwelling, that He moved into our neighborhood, that He became just like us, that He identified with us, and we saw His glory. Glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. And when you read that passage, it's easy just to read it and remember it and know it because we've heard it all our lives. But it is an amazing truth that God Almighty dwelt, tabernacle, lived among, moved into the neighborhood with us. And over the next four weeks, I want to just ask and answer a very simple question. Why? Why? Now, now there's some obvious reasons, and there's some Sunday school answers, and we'll get there. I mean, in a little bit, we're going to take the Lord's Supper, and if I were to ask you why did He become, why did He come to Earth, uh, many of you would say, well, He came to die for our sins, die on the cross, rise again from the dead, because He came to have victory over death, and we'll get there. But I want to look at some other reasons. Why? Why did He come as one of us and live as one of us among us. Take your Bibles and turn me to John chapter 14. Here's what we're going to do today. Because you're intelligent people, right? Uh, Sophisticated people, right? Sure, okay. We'll go with that, right? We're going to discover this together, all right? So we're going to start reading and we're going to walk through this and we're going to discover together what it is that the reason that he came, starting in chapter 14, verse 1. John says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Now, 
Let's just stop there for a minute. Why would their hearts be troubled? Why would they be concerned? What's happening here? Where are they? Like, we didn't come for a test, Pastor. Just give us the answers, all right? Where, where are they in John chapter 14? What's going on? It, it's near the Last Supper. It's near the Lord's Supper. So they're in the upper room. This is called the upper room discourse. He's having a conversation. So if they're in the upper room, the Lord's Supper is about to happen or the Last Supper is about to happen. What does that mean is coming the next day? Crucifixion. Jesus is leaving. And he has just told them, I'm leaving. And then he tells them, but don't worry about it. And they're like, wait, 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 wait a minute. That is the exact reason we're supposed to worry. Listen, we are the most hated people in this city right now, but it's okay because everybody's scared of you. They've seen the miracles you've done. They've seen what you've done in the temple. They've seen how you interacted with people, and they're cautious because they've seen your power. If you're gone, we're done. What do you mean, don't be scared, don't be afraid? Jesus says, stop worrying. In fact, that's the best translation of that is stop being troubled, stop worrying. And then he says a phrase that if anybody else says this, you need to walk away from the conversation. Trust in God, he says, or you have trusted God, then just trust me. Now, Now imagine if a friend of yours said that. You believe God and trust God? Well, trust me just like you trust God. Verse 2. In my Father's house are many rooms. Now, I'm going to ruin some great Southern Gospel songs for you right here. Most of you grew up, what is it do you think it says there? In my house there are many. That's not what it says. But you can still sing those songs if you like, all right? The, the, their idea is rooms. And here's the reason. The idea is that in heaven we ought to be much more concerned about the fellowship we're having with each other and with our Lord than the type of house we're living in. I, I, I got a weak amen. That's the only thing I got there. Anyway, thank you. Some of you are like, but I want two stories in heaven. Well, we'll see what you get. All right. If it were not so, I would have told you. Then he goes on this kind of tangent that. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come back and take you with me to be with you, that you may also be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. And about this time, the disciples, the apostles are all confused because they're like, wait a minute, you're leaving and you're going to get ready someplace, but you're coming back to get us. But when you're talking about leaving, you're talking about dying. And how are you going to go somewhere and come back and get us when you can't go? We don't know how to get there. I mean, he says, I know the way. I have no idea where the way is. And so Thomas says to him, (laughs) hey, Lord, um, I think I speak for everybody in the room here when I say, uh, we don't have a clue where you're going. So how do we know the way? Jesus answered one of the most famous verses in Scripture, right? I am the way. The truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. Jesus is now ratcheting up the rhetoric about his deity. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. And Philip, hey, hey, Jesus, I know. Listen, we just got to stop you every once in a while because we don't have a clue what you're saying here. Philip says, Jesus, um, just show us the Father and that'll be enough. Jesus, uh, listen, you don't want us to be worried. You don't want us to be scared. You're leaving. You're going to, you know, yeah, all that's great. You're going to go find a place. You're going to go get a place where we can all go together. That's good. That's good. I appreciate that. Hey, uh, can we, 
Could you just make my faith sight? Could you just let me, could you just show us God? Just, just show us God. Show us the Father. Let us see Him. Let us know Him. You, you seem to have this relationship with Him. Just let us have that and that will be enough. And Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you such a long time. I can imagine Philip's expression at that time. Is like, yeah, yeah, I know. I know you, Jesus. I, I want to know the Father. And then verse 9, Jesus says, Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is me? The words I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing His work. Here's an amazing statement that Jesus says. You see, they're asking, we want to see the Father. We want to know what God's like. It's a question we've all asked at some point in our life. If if I could just know for sure there's a God, or if I could just know for sure what God was like, if I could just, beyond a shadow of a doubt, have have certainty about God and who He is and what He wants to do and what He wants us to do, if I could just have that certainty, it would be enough. And Jesus says, you have it. Philip, it's me. In fact, what he says is, if you want to know what God is saying, Jesus says, listen to me. He says, if if you want to know what God would do, watch me. The radical statement Jesus is saying is, he, he is saying to them, That the reason that he has come to earth, the the why in the world that Jesus has come, the first reason in this why in the world is this, is because he has come to communicate and to demonstrate what God is like. Yes, he, he came to die for our sins. Yes, he came to pay for the penalty that we could not. But more than that, he came... To communicate and to demonstrate what God is like. So here's what that means for you and me. If we want to know what God would say, then we look at what Jesus says. If we want to know what God would do, then we look at what Jesus does. If we want to know what God is like, then we examine the life of Jesus. You see, Jesus... (laughs) Jesus is saying, I didn't come or claim to have an explanation of God. Jesus claims to be the explanation of God. Now, we live in a world where people are always trying to find the ultimate answers for life. Now, the truth is, many of us are like the old country song, we're looking for truth in all the wrong places. I started to sing that for you today, but I spared you, all right? You're welcome. But here's the thing. As a culture, even as believers, we're trying to find out about God from all the wrong places. For instance, many of us look to our circumstances to try to figure out who God is and what He's doing. And here's the problem with that. Can I just be real honest with you? We are terrible at interpreting the circumstances in our lives. 
We're terrible at it. Just, just for instance, I, I was thinking about moments in my life, another country song. You know, country songs can be applicable just about anything you do. I didn't get any amens there. Some old nose, another camp. But you know the Garth Brooks song, right? Some of God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayers. Now, here's the thing. We know that 20 years later, but at the time, we think that's not true at all. It's like the girl that has her heart set on a certain boy asking her to prom, and he comes home. she comes home and she cries to her mom and says, I prayed and I prayed and I prayed and I prayed. And he did not ask me to prom. And the mom is thinking, I prayed and I prayed and I prayed. And he did not ask her to prom. Yes. Fifteen years later, that girl looks back on her life and she sees him and she sees her life. And she says, I am so thankful that God didn't answer my prayer. Well, when she's 18, she's interpreting the circumstances. It's not the same as when she's 30. God uses circumstances. God allows circumstances. We can find some things out about our lives from circumstances. But if they are the sole understanding of God in our lives, we are terrible at interpreting them. Some of us look to circumstances. Some people look to their religious traditions. Well, when I was growing up, or I used to be in a church, or when I think the church ought to, or and here's the problem, we all depending on where we grew up, have a little bit of tradition. Now, let's just be honest. In this room, we're pretty, um, there are lots of Southern Baptists here. Now, not, not, others, non-Southern Baptists, but many of you in this room grew up Southern Baptist. And when you grow up Southern Baptist, you have a pretty defined list of what God likes and doesn't like. Mm-hmm. Now, here's the problem with spiritual traditions, all right? They systematize, customize, overemphasize, fossilize. They take things and they try to make them all fit. And can I tell you something? Stuff doesn't all fit. So as Southern Baptists growing up, we were told, you can't dance. Why? I don't know. But that's what we teach. And so what happens is, if there's something that doesn't fit, we just kind of ignore that. Kind of like Psalms where it says... Dancing to the Lord, kind of like David coming back with the ark and he danced before the Lord. Well, what about that? Ooh, we don't need to worry about that. As Southern Baptists growing up, alcohol's never, ever okay. Well, what about those verses that say that wine is a blessing from the Lord and a little wine is a good for the heart? What do we do with, oh, we just don't even think about that. That was different. It was a different kind of wine. Some of y'all wonder if I need to be your pastor anymore. What is he talking about up there? Is he not... If he's not a Southern Baptist, we just emphasize things. I mean, there were people in this country who for years claimed that it was okay to own another human being. And they used the Bible to support it. Our religious traditions, while important, and while I believe in them, They don't give us the full picture of God because stuff doesn't always fit. And so we look to our circumstances, we look to our religious traditions, we look within. Just center yourselves. Look within you. What's inside your heart? The problem with this is when you look within, you're limited to what is within. 
And the last one is we look to nature. You ever heard this? I don't need a church. My church is nature. I can be with God out in nature. Can I tell you the problem with that? Nature is brutal. Do you know what I would determine if I just, I mean, yes, I mean, from a panoramic view, from sitting back, from driving through and seeing all the leaves change and the beautiful snowfall that comes in the winter and the beautiful summer days, from a, from a macro point, from a large scale point, yes, it is awesome. But you know what's happening at every other level is violence. I do not believe in Darwin's theory of evolution. I believe that God is the creator. But there is this aspect that Darwin talks about that the fittest survive. And in nature in general, the fittest survive. You know what? There's no grace or mercy. When animals are hunting each other, nobody gets done and says, oh, good game. Let's get a participation ribbon. Right? Have any, have any of y'all seen this? Uh, I mean, nature's brutal. Have anybody seen this show that's coming on the Discovery Channel next Sunday night? Anybody seen this? You might tell me the name of it. Eaten alive. Y'all remember a few weeks ago I told you how to survive an anaconda attack. Some of you wondered if that would ever be necessary. There is a guy in a week, they're going to show it, it's already happened, who gets dressed up in a suit and voluntarily is eaten by an anaconda. And all of God's people said, no way, right? The last line of the promo says, I mean, you've got to go head first. I was like, no, you do not have to go any first. But here's the truth. If a human being is lying out in the middle of nature and the anaconda happens upon him, do you know what the anaconda is going to do? Lunch. We are so removed from nature, we think it's all beautiful. But for most generations, in order to eat, you know what you had to do as a human being? You had to kill. We don't have to kill. We have to choose what's the best on sale price for the meat at the local supermarket. So we look to nature. And then all of our wandering around, looking within ourselves and looking at nature and to our religious traditions and looking to our circumstances, we miss the most obvious thing there. And it is simply this, that Jesus came to communicate and to demonstrate what God is like. And if we want to know what God is like, we don't need circumstances, we don't need nature, we don't need anything but Jesus So I'm going to give you a homework assignment. And all of God's people said, I want you to read one of the Gospels this week. A whole Gospel? Yes. You choose one. Not all four. I'm not going to make, I mean, you know, I could make it tough. Say, read them all. Just choose one. Matthew's uh, written for more of a Jewish audience. But if you're an Old Testament person that would like that, it's a good mixture. Luke is the most systematic of them all. Mark is the shortest and suddenly Mark is the most popular among you. John is the more theological, the more looking at it. I want you to read the gospel, one gospel. And here's what I want you to ask. What does Jesus in this gospel communicate and demonstrate about God? Next week, we're going to have an exercise. We're going to look at one passage of Scripture together. And we're going to ask that question. What does it communicate and demonstrate about God? Now, here's what I love about this passage. Jesus flows right from this passage in John chapter 14. Talking through the rest of this discourse that happened on the night before he was crucified about the comfort that would come in the Spirit of God that would help us to interpret the things that we read in Scripture about Jesus to understand about God. 
And it's the night before he would show his ultimate example of what God is like when he died on the cross for you and for me. And so just a moment, we're going to have a time of response. And perhaps for you, it's just that God would help you this month as we move towards Christmas. As we move towards Christmas, that God would help you to kind of think through and understand more about who he is through Jesus and what Jesus did for us. And that your heart would be open this year to whatever God would have you to do. We're going to have a time of response. If the Lord leads in any way, I'm just going to ask you to come. Would you pray with me?